Okay, so Pastor Kara had an amazing message last week, um, re- intimacy over religion, right? Relationship over religion. We always say like, you know, we're looking for relationship, not religion. Well, what is religion? We call religion man-made rules that make no sense. Man-made rules that make no sense, you know, to-do lists, you know, uh, finding our satisfaction and, and our, uh, I feel good and I'm done because I checked this off the list, you know, and I didn't cuss this week and I didn't lie this week and I didn't uh, go on pornography this week, so check, I feel good about myself, right? That's religion, that's religion. It's a bunch of rules that just like make you feel good. It, you're supposed to be in a relationship with God, and in a relationship, you come alive. In a relationship, you give fruit. In, a, in, in the religious circles, you're always just performing, trying to do good, trying to be better. And if you don't good, do good, you feel bad about yourself. You beat yourself up. You pull away. You have a shame. You go through these cycles, and there's no transformation because it's all just religion. Do, do, don't do, don't do. This is wrong with you. This is wrong with you. This is wrong with you. So religion doesn't produce any life, but relationship with God produces life in us. And when we have relationship with God, a daily walk with him, which is what he created us for, not only are we satisfied and we're at peace, but we're growing and we're flourishing. And so, you know, last week she talked about Martha and Mary, right? Martha's working, doing all all the other things. They're important things. They need to be done. Somebody has to straighten out the chairs. Somebody has to serve. Somebody has to watch the children, right? They're all good. But when we talk about priorities and the number one thing that we should protect is what? Being at the feet of Jesus, which is what Mary chose. Mary was at the feet of Jesus, and Jesus said she chose the, the best thing. She chose the better of the two options. Good job. Nobody's going to take that away from you. So that comes number one. That's the first thing that we need to do is we need to make sure that our daily devotions are not forsaken. I was talking to a pastor last year. He said, I went through the hardest time of my life. This is a pastor, big church, out of state, uh, very successful book writer. He said, I was going through the hardest time of my life and I went away with the Lord And the Lord said to me, this is the very reason why you're having a hard time, because you've forsaken your daily devotions. What's your daily devotions? Get up early enough to read your Bible and hear his voice and tell him how you're doing. It's very simple. And and, and the thing is that coming to church is not going to do that for you. Coming to church is where it is incredibly powerful because we connect with one another, we encourage one another, we worship together, we enjoy the corporate worship that doesn't happen when we're by ourselves in our car, but we don't discount that because that's very important also. But coming to church is not going to take care of your daily devotions. And so if we miss that, it's like that is you're defining your relationship with God as a once a week, hour and a half date. That's it. When he created you to be a daily walk with him everywhere you go, by your side, listening to his voice, talking, interacting. You know what I mean? It's a very different relationship. How do we define how close you are to someone? You define how close you are to someone by how much you talk to them, right? Like, think about it. Your spouse, you're probably the closest to her, and you talk with her several times a day, right? And when that's not happening, then what do you feel? You feel distant from each other. You have a friend. You haven't talked to him in a very, very long time. Well, you wouldn't say that you're very close, would you? 
So sometimes we're closer to co-workers than we are to Jesus. Why is it so quiet? I haven't spoken here you know, in like three or four weeks and it feels like, you still like me? No, I'm just kidding. I still like you. I love you. Okay, so anyways, the Bible describes our relationship with God in many different ways to help us understand what he desires for us, okay? And, and, and a few of, I mean, some, like the tree, right? We're the tree planted in, in rivers and waters and, and like, he is that water, right? And then there's other examples like, um, well, we see Mary at Jesus' feet, right? Jesus like, that's, that's the better one, okay? Then we see um, the prodigal son, right? A father and a son, the picture of a son returning to the father and a loving father receiving him. Then we see Jesus uses the vine and the, bra- and the branches, right? He says, I'm the vine, you're the branches. We're, we're connected. He's giving us all these pictures, all these examples of how he wants us connected to him and close to him and how life flows from him, Right? Father, prodigal son, son went away, resources ended. He came back, resources were restored. When you're not planted by the rivers of water, what happens? There's no water, there's no life. You're planted by waters, there's life, there's fruit in every season. Then um, you have the vine and the branches. What happens if the, if the branches cut off, it's going to dry up. It's just a matter of time. Right? Then we have uh, Jesus, and uh, he's the groom, and the church is the bride, right? Closeness, intimacy. It's a picture of marriage, it's a picture of covenant. And then we have um, the one that we're going to talk about today, which is the shepherd and the sheep. I was talking to somebody, um, and they were telling me, you know, I was, I was having a hard time because, because of how I grew up and and, and the father wounds that I had in my life, I was, I was having a hard time picturing me and Father God being close together. So God gave me a new picture. And it was me as a little lamb and him as a good shepherd picking me up and taking care of me. It's like, wow. That's amazing. You know, if you saw the movie The Shack, you know, they, they present God as a woman. And they say something so powerful they go yeah why why is a woman it's like because you couldn't handle a father right because sometimes like we're still healing some of those wounds or you know we're still going through the process and 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 maybe a father picture is just not oh it's like it's not positive for us right and that needs healing in our lives and needs healing in our heart because of certainly he's a good father right and and he wants to be that good good father to us but he gives us many other ideas. And so today I want to talk to you about the good shepherd and the sheep, us being the sheep. Say to the person next to you, bah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you guys did it. You guys are the best. So the reason why some believers seem to prosper, advance, I mean, have you ever seen like people that just barely accepted Jesus in their heart and they're like skyrocketing? You're like... How dare they? Like, I've been sitting on this chair for 10 years, and I have not seen or experienced those things. Like, why is it that some believers, you know, really prosper, advance, flourish, they grow, they get better? They're like, oh, my gosh, New Testament, New Testament. You're almost irritated, right? 
You're almost like, why? Like, that's part of the problem, but that's not what we're talking about today, you know? But you go like, why, why is that? You know, and then the reason why, okay, is what we're going to talk about today because it has to do with, with the fact that some fully surrender and some don't. Okay, in Revelation 3.20, he says, I'm knock at the door. I'm calling. See, if you open up, I'll come in and I will have lunch with you, right? I will have dinner with you. I will eat with you. You know, Jesus, that's another thing he had. He had intimacy with his disciples and with people at the table. They would eat together. Something about eating together, you know? Something about eating together. And so, um, he says, I knock at, uh, you know, I'm knocking at the door. And we use that scripture mostly, or it was taught to us mostly as a, only a salvation picture. But that was written to one of the seven churches. They were already saved. So Jesus is always knocking at a door, you know. We're the, we're, the ha- we're the house, we're the temple of the Holy Spirit. But there's a lot of doors in that house, you know. You're not, you're not a, a, a studio, you know. Like, we, we have a lot of rooms in our heart, in our life, you know. And so he's knocking. He's like, hey, are you ready to open this one up? Nope. Okay. Hey, you ready to open this one up? Nope. Okay. Hey, are you ready to open this one up? Yes, I am in so much pain. I can't take this anymore. Okay. He opened up, and, and if he, uh, he knocks, and if you open up, he comes in. Right? He shines his light. He releases his love. He releases life and he heals that that room, that area of your life. Right? Because salvation is just the very beginning. It's the entry into sozo, into salvation, which is healed, prospered, delivered, full of peace, full of joy, protected. And some of us have only just tasted salvation, the very beginning. And then we got stuck with religion for years and haven't opened up the door to the rest of our life. So I want to suggest to you that the reason why some believers just are flourishing and growing and growing and growing is because they have opened up all the doors to their life and they have fully surrendered to God every area of their life and allowed Him to come in and upgrade Him in all those areas. You with me? So um, I have a couple videos. Uh, Can we show these videos, please? Because God compares us to sheep, and sometimes, you know, sheep have interesting, interesting characteristics. Good shepherd. Let's let's watch the next one. Tell the person next to you, I've been there. <laughs> right? hilarious that's hilarious you know it's it's like we laugh at them but (laughs) 
would say a spoonful of sugar makes the medicine go down, you know. It's like that's us, right? I mean, that was the children of Israel. We look at, you know, we look at the, at the story of the Israelites, right, coming out of Egypt and going to the desert, and, and you go, man, are they dumb or what, you know? And uh, because we, we see the cycles, and we see them, you know, doing this over and over, you know, they didn't trust the Lord, therefore they didn't obey the Lord because they didn't believe the Lord. And because of that, they didn't get to see the promised land. It was another generation that got to go into the promised land. And so... You know, you look at these things and you go, oh my gosh, you know, because we read it, you know, we read what happened in, in you know, hundreds of years, like we read it in, in, in a few chapters, you know, in the book of Exodus, and, and then you go, wow, you're frustrated. But the truth is, like, some of us have been doing some of those things for decades. Yeah, that's not funny anymore, huh? <laughs> We've been doing that for decades, and, and it's like, oh, <laughs> I don't want to do that anymore. And so... Sheep, you know, is one of the animals that, um, that the Bible compares to us, and it's not, you know, it's not because he's insulting us or anything like that, but there are certain characteristics and traits of, of sheep like stubbornness and, and mob mentality and things like that, that that are very similar to humans. And so um, I want us to look at this, this relationship. If you open up your Bible with me to Psalm 23... And let's just think of ourselves as really cute little sheep today, all right? Lambs. You know, that's, that's what the Lord calls us. And it says in Psalm 23, in verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Hmm. Then it says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. And that's as far as we're going to go today. And... Um, and I'm probably going to continue on this uh, next week as well because there's some really powerful things here. Now, the first thing we need to remember is that David was a shepherd, right? David, King David wrote this, and he was a shepherd boy who was later known as the shepherd king, okay? Jesus, it's a picture of Jesus. Jesus also calls himself the good shepherd, right? And he's also our king. So he's the shepherd king, okay? And so... Uh, the, this first part that this is the Lord is my shepherd. I did not know what a deep statement that was. Okay, but to be able to say the Lord is my shepherd is actually something to pride yourself in. And I didn't know this. My grandma gave me this book um, in 2003. So 20 years ago, it changed my life. She read it in 1985. I was one year old and she was in, in Switzerland. And then but it was written in 1970, and it's called A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. And so I want to read you just a, a couple paragraphs of what this guy wrote from the perspective of a shepherd. Because a lot of times we don't get to understand Bible stories or Bible illustrations because we live in such an urban, modern time. But if you've ever done, uh, you know, uh, ranch and had cattle and all this stuff, you might be able to identify. Anybody, anybody's done like cattle here? Like, yeah, okay. So, so some of you guys might be able to understand a little better. But he says, little wonder that the poet, he's talking about David, took pride in belonging to the good shepherd, right? He's like, the Lord is my shepherd. Like, that's exciting. It's like, who has ever said like, Robert is my manager? <laughs> like, 
that's a very rare thing to say, right? Unless you have an amazing manager. Nobody says that. But, you know, David writes this, the Lord is my shepherd, and he was a shepherd, so he knew the importance of who the owner of the sheep was and how the fate, the, the condition, and the lifestyle of the sheep depended so much on who the owner of that sheep was. And so it says, little wonder that the poet took pride in belonging to the good shepherd. Why shouldn't he? In memory, I can still see one of the sheep ranches in our district, which, which, op, which was operated by a tenant sheepman. He ought never to have been allowed to keep sheep. His stock were always thin, weak, and riddled with disease or parasites. Again and again, they would come and stand at the fence, staring blankly through the woven wire, woven wire at the green, lush pastures which my flock enjoyed. Had they been able to speak, I'm sure they would have said, Oh, to be set free from this awful owner. This is a picture which has never left my memory. It is a picture of pathetic people the world over who have not known what it is to belong to the good shepherd, who suffer instead under sin and Satan. And I would add there, and under religion. Just how amazing it is that individual men and women vehemently refuse and reject the claims of Christ on their lives. Listen to this. They fear that to acknowledge his ownership is to come under the rule of a tyrant. That is so crazy, but it is so true. Why would people not surrender their lives fully to God unless they're afraid that it might not be the best for them? But David knew who his shepherd was. So he wasn't afraid to write, the Lord is my shepherd. He's the one that has ownership of my life. I am completely satisfied with his management over me. I have no doubt and no question that he has the best interest for me. See, a lot of people want to be friends with God, you know, and, and grace has certainly opened up our eyes and given us the right picture of how close, wants, how close God wants to be with us. But some have skipped making him Lord and King. And that has set him up for failure. Because he needs to be our Lord and King first. Then our close friend. Why? Because when he's your Lord and King, you really surrender all to him. He's your Lord. He has lordship over your life. That requires a lot of trust. But if he's just a friend, the minute he asks me for something that I don't like, doesn't sound good to me, not sure about, I'm out. You don't do that if it's your Lord and King. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9. We're going to read two versions in it. New Living Translation first. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is... What? Lord, right? Not like, not like your best friend, not your buddy, buddy. Like, yes, he wants to be that close. But if you confess that he is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Verse 10 says, for it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. You know what that sounds like to me? The Lord is my shepherd. That's an open declaration. 
See, King David knew before that prayer was ever in the book that it was a matter of believing in your heart and making him Lord, making him the owner, making him the king of your life. Let's read the, the Passion Translation for that, please. It says uh, Romans 10, 9. Do we have that? There we go. It says, and what is God's living message? It is the revelation of faith for salvation, which is the message that we preach. For if you publicly declare with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will experience salvation. You know what the sheep on the other side of the fence would have experienced if they changed ownership? Salvation, peace, good food, good care. It says the heart that believes in him receives the gift of righteousness of God, and then the mouth confesses, resulting in salvation. The Lord is my shepherd. Man. He's not just the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. Hmm. Psalms 100, 100 verse 3. I'm sorry. John. Sorry. John 10, 10. Let's go to John 10, 10. <clears throat> The thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Verse 11 says, I am the good shepherd. Now, this is Jesus, okay? I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd sacrifices his life for the sheep, right? That's us. A hired hand will run when he sees a wolf coming. Like that other guy, you know? The guy, the sheep went back in and he's like, forget you. You know, walked away. <clears throat> That's the hired hand. The hired hand has no ownership over the sheep. He says, because they don't belong to him and he isn't their shepherd. And so the wolf attacks them and scatters the flock. The hired hand runs away because he's working only for the money and doesn't really care about the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own sheep and they know me. Just as my father knows me, and I know the Father. So I sacrifice my life for the sheep. I have other sheep too that are not in this sheepfold. I must bring them also. They will listen to my voice and there will be one flock with one shepherd. Mm. We're the sheep. He's the shepherd. And he's not just the shepherd. He's the good shepherd. It also tells us that we hear his voice. We can hear his voice. Religion doesn't let you hear God's voice. Religion just wants to tell you what to do, what not to do. See, but when you're in relationship, you get to hear the good shepherd for yourself. And you hear him, and you walk with him, and you follow his instructions. <clears throat> Psalms 100, verse 3, in the Amplified, it says, Know, perceive, recognize, understand with approval. See, this is all questions for us right now. As we're reading the scriptures, like, you need to be asking yourself, is, is he my Lord? Is he my King? Is he my shepherd? Have I surrendered my life to him, really? Hmm. Do I perceive, do I recognize, do I understand with approval that the Lord is God? It says, it is he who has made us, not we ourselves. And we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Ephesians 2.10 Check this out. It says, For we are God's own handiwork, His workmanship, 
recreated in Christ Jesus, born anew, that we may do those good works which God predestined, planned beforehand for us, taking the paths which He prepared ahead of time, that we should walk in them, living the good life. Say it with me, living the good life. See, religion tells you that, <clears throat> no, no, you know, you follow Jesus, you know, get ready to suffer. And so who's going to want to surrender their life to someone who's going to make them suffer? Well, in, inevitably, right? Like, nobody wants that. So it just creates more religious people that say, I will suffer for Jesus. Now, they look all spiritual, right? And we look all like... Uh, this makes no sense, and now I guess I'm not that close to God. Hello? We're his own work, right? So he planned for us, right, to live the good life, which he prearranged and made ready for us to live. That's amazing. He prearranged a good life for us to live. Like, he could have said, hey, trust me, it's going to be good. And you just have to trust him. But he's like detailedly telling us over and over and over, I'm a good shepherd. I have good plans for you. The plans that I have for you, you guys have heard that song uh, that Dan Maria wrote, right? That, that talks about, um, what is, Maria, where are you? Okay, she's not here right now. She went out with the baby. But like, it talks about how God's plan is better than we'll ever think on our own. Like, whatever you think would be the best plan for your life, God's plan is better. God's plan is more satisfying. He created us with good plans in mind. He said, you know what, Rocco, I'm going to put these desires in your heart because I want to fulfill those. God puts good desires in our heart so that he can have the pleasure of fulfilling them. That's amazing. Religion has taught us like, now, forget about all your good desires. You're going to have a hard time. But don't worry, you'll go to heaven. And so therefore we go, okay, I guess I'll have to suffer and be miserable. But that's not God. He's a good shepherd. He created us with good plans in his heart. And he tells us all of this stuff, you know what, to make it easier on us to fully surrender. Because to fully surrender is kind of a vulnerable thing. Would you agree with me? To fully surrender, it's kind of vulnerable. It's like putting yourself out there. Letting down your guard, letting down your walls. You know, it's saying, here's my life. 80, 90, 100, 120 years I'm going to live. Okay, I trust you with it because you say in your word that you created me, that you have good plans for me. So here it is. There you go. You're my Lord. You're my king. And I'm fully submitting myself to you. And when he's fully your Lord and fully your king, he brings you up. He brings you to the table. He sits you next to him. He lets you put your head on him. He lets you be really close. See, there's a big difference, you know. And it's, I'm, I'm willing to take a bullet for him. Right? I've surrendered my life to him. Like, without him, I'd be nothing. 
there's a level of gratefulness that puts your life on the altar. Now, he doesn't want us to take a bullet for him. He doesn't want us to be sick and poor for him. He died on the cross, and he took that on the cross so that we wouldn't have to do that because we're way more effective if we're rich and healthy. <laughs> Newsflash. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know what the Bible says about being poor? It sucketh. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not just joking. Like, it's a curse. And if um, and under the management of the good shepherd, she far very very well taken care of. And I'm gonna show you. Let's go to um, <laughs> uh, Psalms 23 verse two. Are you getting something out of this? Yes. Psalm 23 verse two. Okay, so first it says the Lord is my shepherd. Say it with me out loud if if you really feel proud. That he's your shepherd. Say, the Lord is my shepherd. Okay. The next part, it says, I'm sorry, not verse 2 yet. It says, I have all that I need. Or another version says, I shall not want. Okay. That's amazing right there. Because it's not just telling you, you know, I'm your shepherd. But it's telling you, under me, you will have no lack. You will not want anything. I can look at my life for the last 20 years, 25 years. And how the Lord has increased us, you know, year after year, year after year, that I can truly say, I don't have any wants. And let me tell you, that's where wealth starts. Like, it's not represented by how many zeros, how many millions of dollars you have in the bank. It's represented by how above the need line you are. And I don't need anything. And a lot of the desires of my heart, I have a lot of desires in my heart. I have a lot of vision. I have a lot of dreams, right? But my desires, like my thing, my, my personal, my family, like we're good. I consider myself very rich. I wouldn't trade my life for Jeff Bezos or, you know, Elon Musk, you know, the richest people. on Like I wouldn't. I really wouldn't. Oh, but I mean... You could do so much more than that. Let me tell you. Like, I have a father who has unlimited resources. I have the good shepherd who wants to build with me. Like, that's more valuable than anything. And so it says, I shall not want, I will not lack. That means I have all my needs met and I'm at peace. Because you also know the Bible talks to us about, you know, there's, a, a, there's riches that have sorrow with them. It says, when the Lord blesses us, he adds no sorrow with it. He makes us rich and adds no sorrow with it. But there's riches that add sorrow to it. They're not God's riches. Okay, I, I, I don't want to get off track. So, so, I have all that I need, I shall not want. You know, the good shepherd, I shall not want. And when I was, okay, so that was uh, 20 years ago in 2000, well, like 19 years ago. Okay, so I was around 18 years old. 
18, 17, 18 years old, it's, um, I had this revelation, like, I'm not going to want anything. And let me tell you, when I was a teenager, I wanted a lot of things. I felt like I, I had a lot of lack. And that was just perspective. It wasn't really true. But I felt like there were so many things that I didn't have, and I wanted everything I didn't have and, and all that stuff. When I started meditating on this and realizing the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, like, it started attracting the things that I needed and even the desires of my heart into my life. Because I realized I'm good. I'm taken care of. I don't have to be in anxiety. I don't have to worry about my needs because the Lord is my shepherd. God does not want you to worry about your needs, but you need to realize who is your shepherd, who is your Lord, who is your king. Because under his management, we're good. And then verse 2 says, He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside, beside the still waters. Okay, so I want to, um, I found this out about sheep. And um, sheep, it's not an easy thing for them to lay down. It's not an easy thing at all, okay? As a matter of fact, it's impossible to make him lie down unless these four requirements are met, okay? So number one, they have to be free of fear. Number two, they have to be free of friction. Number three, they have to be free of pests, and they have to be free of hunger. And unless those four things are met, the sheep won't lie down. So free of fear, free of dangers, free of predators. So the sheep has to know she's under the good shepherd. And the good shepherd is a fierce defender. He's got a rod and he knows how to use that thing. See, a lot of times religion tells you he's got a rod because he's going to beat you up till you behave. That's a lie. He's got a rod because he's going to defend you from wolves and he's going to defend you from whatever pest and whatever predator comes around. He's going to be that sucker, not you. See how twisted it gets? God's not beating anybody into shape. I mean, you saw that. He pulls you out of a ditch and then you go and you get yourself another one. Like, he doesn't come and beat you up. Be like, you dumb sheep. Like, he doesn't do that. He just pulls you again. And pulls you again. <clears throat> so they need to be free of fear. Free of the dangers of the predators of the viruses. <laughs> Just in general. <laughs> Number two, they have to be free of friction with others. Guess what? If, if, if they have like jealousy among them, like, like she's in a better spot. I like her patch of grass better, you know, and like and they start like getting into this jealousy thing. They're stressed and they're anxious and they can't sit down. They can't lay down. Free of offense, free of strife. You have to be free of pests, flies, parasites. That takes a lot of care. There's nose flies, you know, that just make them like, ugh. And they're trying to run. Sometimes they'll run into a bush just to like scratch off stuff, you know, or get in the water. So a bad shepherd doesn't take care of those things. A bad shepherd's like, yeah, you know, they're, they're going to the slaughterhouse anyway, so he doesn't care. The good shepherd takes care of the sheep, 
cleans him off, takes the pests off, puts the repellent on. You know, it takes a lot of care. I mean, I could barely make it with two puppies. <laughs> like, imagine a hundred sheep. Imagine 200. Imagine 300 sheep. Like, it takes a really good shepherd to take care of them. But he cares about those things. See, God cares about the little flies that are bugging you around. He wants to clean you off completely. He wants to purify you. But you know which sheep are hard to do that with? The ones that are running around. Hey, come here. Now. No, come here. Come here. I, I got. Let me help you. Let me clean you off. Now. It's like, come on. Like, I'm trying to help you here. I don't know. I don't care. You know? It's like, this is going to be good for you. I promise you. Read this book. Nah, no. Go to Sozo. I promise you, Sozo is going to be a great experience. Nah. Come on. And so they kind of make it hard, right? Because they're not fully surrendered. They don't fully trust. They're, they're very skittish. Stubborn. And then lastly, they need to be free of hunger, right? And who feeds us? He feeds us. His word, you know, is our food. It's good food. The good shepherd, Jesus, leads us to green pastures. And let me tell you, the green pastures are hard work for the shepherd. They're hard work. They're not easy. Most sheep thrive in dry lands. That's kind of like their best environment. But because of that, they, it takes a lot of work to make the, the grass grow and to find good pastures for them. So it's not an easy thing to find good pastures for them. And even then, find good pasture for a sheep, some go off on their own, you know, to eat dirt somewhere else. There's a lot of things I want to say about this, but I think you're just getting the point. <laughs> right? If God led you here, there's a reason why. Right? Because he's the good shepherd. I'm an under-shepherd. He's the good shepherd. I mean, I'm good, but I'm not that good. <laughs> See, and so he leads you to green pastures. He leads you to the place, you know. I mean, what is my job? My, my job is what Jesus told Peter, you know, in John 21, when he said, Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my sheep. Well, that's our job is to feed you. But we can't make you. <laughs> right? We can't. You can't. I mean, just think about the example. Like, you can lead them to the good grass, right? But then this one is always going to go wander around and like, you know, and then come back all wounded. And it's like, okay, come back. You know, let me help you. Nah. It's like, oh, God. You know, back to the same story. And so the sheep have to be willing. I have to be willing to let the Lord management over my life and surrender completely and say, all right, God, what do you want me to do now? What's next? What parasite do you want to remove from me? What do you want to feed me today out of the fresh manna? 
And then lastly, he lets me, not lastly, he lets me rest in green meadows. That's verse 2. Can we read it on the screen? It says, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Mm. This is very important right here because, you know, water is a very, very important part. I mean, they're 70% water. You know, a sheep is 70% water. And so they, they need good, clean water. And now there's three sources of water. There's, there's deep wells, there's streams. And then the most common one that is available every early morning, okay, is the dew, the clear, pure dew that is resting on the grass. And they actually have a lot of water from the grass early in the morning. When? Early in the morning. Interesting enough, that's one of the best times to spend time with God is early in the morning. I'm not saying don't spend time with God at night. The Bible tells us to meditate on His Word day and night. Like, like okay, there might be seasons, you know, that, that, that that's easier than other seasons. But what I'm saying is, like, it's interesting that it's in the morning when those are the best times to spend time with the Lord, to drink from the water and to eat from the bread that He has for us. He leads me by still waters. You know, um, real quick here says, still waters. So the word still right there is describing the type of waters. Are you with me? What kind of waters? Still. still waters. Okay? So still means restful, comfortable, quiet, ease. What kind of waters? Comfortable, restful, quiet, Easy waters. Good waters. You with me? He's leading you to a nice, clean brook to drink spring water. Because he knows how important that is. And Jesus said, right? I am the living water. He is. He said, if we drink from him, we'll never thirst again. We'll never leave dissatisfied. He's the only one that can satisfy. The only one that can satisfy is him. Nothing else. Not intellect, not career, not money, not science, not uh, people, not things. Nothing else can satisfy. Only he can satisfy. Only he can satisfy. So the job of the under-shepherd is to always point you to him. To eat from him, to drink from him. What is he saying to you? <sighs> Still waters. So in other words, it's hard to make a sheep lie down. But the good shepherd protects us from fear, from friction, from pests. From hunger, and he leads us to still water so that you can rest. Because, see, it's only out of the place of rest that you can actually enter into the promised land. It's only out of the place of rest that you can actually walk in your destiny. It's only out of a place of rest that you can inherit the promises. It, not, not under anxiety, not under fear, not under worry, but from a place of rest. 
And so the good shepherd is going to do everything he needs to do. He's going to accomplish everything he needs to do. He's, so he promises protection. He promises healing. He promises uh, food. He promises to satisfy us and say, okay, now you can rest. You don't have to worry. I got you. Do you fully trust me and do you fully surrender your life to me? Because I got great, great plans for you. I have amazing things. Those desires in your heart, I put them in there so that I have the pleasure of fulfilling them with you. So would you please stop running somewhere else and try to fulfill them yourselves because it will never be the same. They will all be just fake ones. Ishmael's. 